Good morning. If you'd open your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians, we'll be in chapter 4 this morning. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in chapter 4 of, uh, of 2 Corinthians. Uh, I'll tell you what this morning's message is about. If I had to title it, it would be called Do Not Lose Heart. It's an easy title because it's in the text twice. Uh, the other day I was, um, I teach tennis at a country club down in Dallas during the day. It's kind of my, my job by day, minister by night, I guess. And uh, I was leaving the club and had a great day. Had a, some lessons that were great. Uh, a lot of laughing. I felt great. Got in my car, hit my sunroof open, windows down. Sun was shining, flying down uh, the highway at the speed limit, and uh, flying, doing my 44-mile track back home, and uh, just everything in me felt great. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You guys ever have that where you just the windows are down? If you got a sunroof, you crack it open, and you're just flying, and you're listening to some Led, Ze- I mean, some Chris Tomlin or something, right? And you're just feeling good. You know what I'm saying? And uh, all of a sudden, I hit about Vista Ridge. And I mean, it was a torrential downpour. I mean, those clouds were black. Uh, the wind was, I mean, it was shaking my car all over the place. And I mean, I, those windows were up and I closed my sunroof. I got both hands on the wheel. It was a white, one of those white knuckle drives, you know, and uh, I'm just fighting it through there. And I'm really tense all the way. And I get to 407. And when I get to 407, it's like it broke again. And uh, the sun was out again, and it was clear skies for the most part. The sun was out. So I rolled my windows down again and opened my sunroof and put Led, uh, Chris Tomlin back in and uh, just do the rest of my track into Denton. And, you know, I thought, uh, if that's not like life right there, isn't it? That there are seasons where, man, the windows are down, the sunroof is open, the sun is out, man. You just, everything in you feels great. Life is good. And then out of nowhere, a lot of times unexpected, the downpour hits. And I mean, the windows go up and everything that made you feel good about life is gone. And you got a white knuckled grip and you're just thinking, man, just get me through this storm. You guys ever been there? And sure enough, if you just hang in there, when you get through that, the sun is out, the windows are down, the sunroof is open, and you guys will be singing again. That's just how life is. But, hey, you keep going down that highway, and guess what? There's another cloud with another storm with ferocious winds, and that's just the way life is. And, you know, the Apostle Paul writes in this text this morning, he's going to tell us two times, do not lose heart. Uh, I think in the last 30 days, no exaggeration. I've talked to at least five people who uh, I've either talked on the phone with or met with personally who have all said virtually the exact same thing. That when I begin to kind of talk about their spiritual life because of where they are in their life, all of them have essentially said, man, I just, my motivation's gone. I just don't have it. I've been praying and praying and praying. Things aren't happening the way that I need them to happen. And I just essentially have lost heart. I got a call yesterday from a buddy of mine I haven't talked to in forever. He and his wife, unfortunately, are going through some very hard times. They just went through a separation. And I finally, after about 20 minutes of just hearing his story, I said, well, man, how's your relationship with the Lord? And this is a buddy of mine that I knew. He used to teach Sunday school with me. Um, Just a solid guy. We do Bible study together on a regular basis. He goes, oh, man. He goes, I've dropped the ball so bad. He said, it's been over a year since they've even read my Bible. I just don't have the motivation. He goes, well, my heart... It's just just not there. 
and I look and I see this over and over and over. And isn't it true? I mean, today, um, there's just so many things that can take our hearts. Uh, whether it's, you know, political stuff around the world, you, it's real easy to look around the world and see disasters and, and wars among countries and all this stuff. And, and yeah, you can detach yourself from that and just kind of look at your own little world. But even in your own world, my gosh, I mean, the average American is twelve to $20,000 in debt, and they feel just the shackles of that around their neck. Uh, there's more temptations and things pulling at our young kids than ever before, isn't there? I mean, you send your kids off to school. If they, if they go to even a Christian school or a public school, you send them off to school, man, they're gone seven, eight, nine hours in the day. You just wonder, what are they hearing? Who's talking to them? What's sticking in their head? You know, they come home and they say that thing you've never heard them say before. And suddenly you just kind of freak. What's going on with my kids? What am I doing? What kind of an influence are they getting? And you just get scared. You know, I took my son Cooper yesterday. We went to go get a a Slurpee after we played basketball, which was after we played tennis, which is after we went swimming. And so we went and got a Slurpee yesterday. And I went to 7-Eleven. As we're walking by, um, I had to keep him on my left side so he wouldn't look at the magazine rack at 7-Eleven. Wondering about what in the world. I mean, I can't even go get a Slurpee without my son having his eyes drawn to these ridiculous magazines at a 7-Eleven rack. You know, and it's easy just to feel that your heart gets weak, you know. Um, single parenthood. Some of us here are single parents. Just the, the struggle of being a single parent. Sometimes the loneliness that comes with it, the effort, the exhaustion that comes with it. Some of you unemployed, been looking for work, or don't have the job that you want. Some of you in a tough marriage. Maybe things are hard right now. Maybe they've been hard for a long time. It's easy to lose heart, is it not? It is easy to lose heart. Well, Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 is going to address this. And it's a wonderful section of Scripture. I mean, if you guys have not done much Scripture memory, I'd encourage you just to start putting some of these passages in your mind and begin meditating and dwelling on them. It's verses 7 through about verse 18. Um, I promise to get these done, Ron, in 18 minutes. Uh, we'll, we'll do all of these verses here. Uh, but let me just give you very quickly the context of this. Paul here in chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, let me show you what Paul is, the context is. In verses 7 to 11 of chapter 3, he loves the glory of what he calls the new covenant. And if you remember, the new covenant, all that is, is the transition from the law of the Old Testament that God gave through Moses to give to the people, and the new covenant now is the fulfillment that Christ did, fulfilling the law, and now through His life, we get His righteousness because He's the fulfillment of the law. It's the new covenant. It's the new promise that God said, I'm going to put this no longer on tablets of stone. I'm going to put it in your heart. And look what Paul says. Ten times he uses the word glory in these verses, beginning in verse 7. He says, now if the ministry that brought death, which is the law, was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? In other words, if the law was glorious because God gave it and it's a picture of His character, but it caused death because no one could abide by it, how much more glorious is it when God finally says, I'm going to write the law in your heart. Verse 9, if the ministry that condemns men is glorious, that's the law, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? 
For what was glorious has no glory now, that's the law, in comparison with the surpassing glory. Right now, Paul would get a D minus in English. Repetition of a word, Paul. You don't do it. He doesn't care. What is that? Ephesians chapter 2, I think, where he has like the longest sentence in the entire New Testament. It's like 60 words long with no punctuation. I mean, Paul's just, he's just so caught up with Jesus, man. He's just caught up by the glory of God. Verse 11. And if what was fading away, the law, came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts, meaning the Spirit. The Spirit lasts. That is God's... Beyond the Spirit, God cannot go. Y'all know that? The law He could give and He could go beyond the law. He could pass over the law and move beyond that. Beyond the Spirit, He cannot go. If we are a people with the Spirit within us, God can do no more than that. That's why the rejection of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is the only unforgivable sin in your Bible. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Because beyond the Spirit of God, God cannot go. But then he moves on. And he says, not just that, but because of this, we are transformed into his likeness. Look here in chapter 3 and verse uh, 18. He says, and we, believers, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. See that? What's the Spirit's job in our life? It is to transform us into the likeness of Him. That's it. Somebody asked you, what's the purpose of life? The purpose of life is to be transformed into the image of Him. Now let me ask you a question. What kind of a life does it take to transform an individual from your image to His image? You think that's a life of comfort? A life of ease? You think that's the kind of life that will transform us into the image of Christ? To take my kingdom to take my righteousness, to take my glory, and to exchange it for His kingdom, His righteousness, and His glory. What sort of a life do you think God has to tailor-make for us in order to do that great exchange? Well, He's got about 70 years for most of us to do that. And generally, God will give us enough pockets of sunlight with the sunroof open to give us the strength and the encouragement through it But those rain clouds are there, and the storms are there, and the winds will beat us down. But it is those things that do the transforming work. So Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, what? We do not lose heart. You know what this ministry is? Paul just says, since through God's mercy we have this ministry. Immediately we should say, what ministry? What's my ministry? You ready? I'm going to tell you every one of our ministries. Our ministry is to reflect the Lord's glory. And do not lose heart. You know why he says do not lose heart after he tells you that your ministry is to reflect the Lord's glory? Because in order for you to reflect the Lord's glory, what kind of a life are we going to have to have sometimes? A hard one. One of struggle. One of discipline. One that's filled with challenges. See? And Paul says don't lose heart. And he's going to give you about five reasons why you shouldn't lose heart. And I'm going to tell you these in about nine minutes. Look here. He says, first of all, before he does that, in verse 4 of chapter 4, he says, we're blessed because we have the Spirit in us. But look at the unbeliever. The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. 
See, they're different because their minds have been blinded. Verse 7, here we go. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's where the band got their name, by the way. Or some of your Bibles, if you have the New American Standard, you have the word earthen vessels. That's a good translation. But we have this treasure. The treasure is this gospel, the light of the gospel of God. In earthen vessels or in jars of clay. That jar of clay, that earthen vessel, that's our bodies. This treasure, that's the gospel. God has chosen fit to take the light of this gospel, this beautiful and glorious thing, and He has put it inside this frail, weak, earthen vessel. Have you all gotten to the place where you've recognized that your body is a frail, weak, earthen vessel yet? Or do you still think it's a strap-and-cut-looking thing? I know some of you have gotten over that already. From this vantage point, I can definitely tell you you've gotten over that. Some of you are still in the illusion that when you go to the gym, that mirror is your best friend. You really think, man, I'm all that. Listen, when I, I started teaching tennis, I took a little bit of a break. When I went back to the tennis court about five years ago to teach, I loved my job. But do you realize I, did not, I, I didn't realize how many weak spots in my body I had until I was back on that tennis court. I mean, every day when I get done, I mean, it's the lower back. It's, I mean, my, my upper back hurts, my neck, kills, my shoulder just is rocked at the end of every day. I mean, I'm popping, you know, you name it, it's going in my mouth just to kill the pain. My body is, a, it is an earthen vessel. Now, I try to mask it a little bit. You know, I'll go do a few of these and, you know, try to... But man, on the inside, if you look at my joints and my cartilage and my spine, it's screaming. And it's, it's weak. It's an earthen vessel. And God does it. He puts this gospel in us to show us His power and His glory. And look what He says. He says, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. In order, In other words... Anything great that's accomplished by us isn't because of the greatness of our bodies and of who we are. We are people who are breaking down. Anything great that happens is because of the surpassing greatness and glory of God. Amen? It's His glory. It's His strength that does the work. And it is not about us who are people breaking down and losing their hair and having receding hairlines and blah, blah, blah. That's not what it's, not, that's not what it's about. We are earthen vessels. And then look at this. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. This idea of hard-pressed means, Paul is saying, I feel like I am being closed in on every side. You guys ever been there? Where you feel like everything is closing in on you? But he says, but we're not crushed. we still got room to move. We're not just hard-pressed. He says, perplexed but not in despair. You guys ever been perplexed? What in the world is going on? God, how in the world did you let this happen? Why did this happen? Where is this going to go? How could this possibly be redeemed? How could I ever love this person again? How could I ever forgive this person? How am I ever going to get out of debt? You guys ever been there? Perplexed, utterly perplexed. I have no idea. But... Not in despair. The Christian is not one that walks in despair because we walk in the hope and in the promise of the glorious might of our God. 
that He can carry us through everything. It's okay to be perplexed. We don't have to have all the answers. But we do not despair. What else He says? Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, or literally, knocked to the ground, but not crushed. Hey, I may be knocked down. It's like that classic all-time great scene in Rocky Balboa. Did you guys see Rocky Balboa? Shame on you if you didn't. Classic of all, of all American films. There's this one line in Rocky that I love. He walks through and he's, he says, It's not how hard you can take a hit. It's how hard you can take a hit and keep walking forward. Isn't that good? Rocky, deep dude right there, man. Awesome. Sylvester. Yo. But he's right. I may be knocked down, but I am not crushed. I am not out for the count. I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep walking forward. You see, I'm not one who is crushed. You know why? Now, verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that His life may be revealed in our mortal body. Now, I know that's, that's a lot. I wish we had more time. But let me just essentially give you the cliff note to what he's saying there. What he's saying is that your sufferings in your life and my sufferings in my life have the ability to reveal Jesus. You ever thought about that? That the life that Jesus lived, this life of utter abandonment to God, a life of suffering and persecution and rejection and all that Jesus went through, it revealed the glory of God. And we too, through our sufferings and our travails and our hardships, have the ability to reveal Jesus in our mortal bodies. You ever thought about that? That the way that I go through my suffering is a way that I reveal Jesus, both to my spirit and to my fellow man. Verse 12, so then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. What a great verse. Death is at work in us, meaning the body, everything around us seeks to, to, to beat us down and to destroy us. But the one thing that happens amidst all of that is that there is life that has the ability to work within us. In the inner man, we have this ability to grow and to have life. Do not grow weary. Do not grow faint. Don't lose heart. Because it's the inner man that gets to rise above his circumstances. You can't live life based on the outer man or you will lose heart. 13. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. That's David writing during a very difficult time in his life. With that same spirit of faith, as David had, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. You see what else, what else Paul depends on? Paul holds on to the hope of the resurrection that someday... All of this will be restored. That we will be given bodies that would become incorruptible and imperishable. There will be a day that there will be no more tears and no more sadness. And we will rejoice forever and forever. Can we say amen to that? That's what we believe. That's not some Freudian psychological crutch for why we believe in religion. 
That is an objective fact that if Jesus, in fact, rose from the dead, if he was the first fruits of resurrection, that means every one of us who are in him will also someday, our bodies will be raised anew and everything will be made new. That's a glorious hope. And Paul holds on to this so he can throw his body to the side. He can say, as he did in 2 Corinthians 11, I have been beaten with rods. I have been stoned. I have been beaten to 39 lashes five times. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten up. I've been robbed. And yet at the end of that, you remember what he says? Yet praise be to the Father. How do you say that? I mean, somebody slaps me once and I'm ready to punt. Paul gets beaten up. And yet he can say, praise be to the Father. It's because Paul recognized that there's a day coming that this shell, this husk, is passing away. He goes on and he says, verse 15, All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Paul knew that his life that he's endured is for the benefit of all those people. Your suffering, your weaknesses, the things that you've gone through, do you know that those things are for the benefit of all of us? Whatever it is that you've, been, that you've been through, that those things are there also for the benefit of those around you. That if you've been through something incredibly painful, whether it's been a divorce, maybe the loss of a child, just unfathomable, maybe the loss of a parent, whatever the struggle is that's been in your life, that is there to benefit those around you because you have the opportunity over time to reveal the very beauty of Jesus. 16. Therefore, summary, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Every day is a new day. Every day there is a renewal in the heart that goes. And look what he says, verse 17. I remember I struggled with this verse right here, but I understood what Paul was saying. Verse 17. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that that far outweighs them all. Do you hear what he just said? He says, whatever the struggles that we go through in this life, they are light. Now, you know why he can call them light? They're not excessively burdensome. You know why he says that? It's because Paul understands the weight of glory, that the glory of God displaces anything that we could possibly go through in this life, that the sufferings of this present age are nothing in comparison to the glories of things to come. Amen? Paul understands the weight of glory. Look what he says. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. That there is no wasted suffering in life. None. There is no wasted suffering. It all has a contribution to the very heart and soul that you have. There is none. Every aspect of struggle and travail that we go through is for an eternal glory someday that we get to reflect the beauty of God. And so he concludes now with this exhortation, verse 18. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what happens when you fix your eyes on what is seen? What happens? What happened to Peter when he finally got out of the boat and walked on the water to Jesus? And he looked at Jesus the whole time. 
But then all of a sudden, what did he do? Yeah, he looked up and looked at the storm. And he all of a sudden plummets. And he gives the shortest prayer in your Bible. Lord, save me. By the way, none of those words can be left out. You need all three of those. And Jesus reaches down and grabs them. See, Peter took his eyes off what is unseen, meaning the spiritual divine nature of Christ, and he put it on what was seen. And Paul says, no, we do not fix our eyes on the things that are seen, because if you do that, you will be driven to despair, and you will be crushed. No, we don't do that. You know what we do? He says, verse, at the end of verse 18, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's what I focus my mind on. I'll show you one of my favorite stories. Don't turn there if you don't want. Second, King, Second Kings. We're going, to, we're going to end with this. Second Kings. It's a great picture of this. Chapter 6. It's a story where the king of Aram is really upset because Elisha keeps telling the king of Israel in advance everything that he's going to do. That's kind of a bad deal for you whenever you're trying to make strategic plans against your enemy and somebody's always tipping the guy off. And he says, how do they always know what we're doing? And he goes, oh, uh, this guy Elisha, he keeps telling the people what the, in advance. He knows everything you're going to do. And he says, well, go find him. Verse 13, go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. Then by night, he went there by night and surrounded the city. So all of a sudden, the king of Aram he surrounds the entire city of Dothan with chariots and horses and his entire army. Verse 15, When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. What do you think he's thinking? He's thinking, help me Jesus. What in the world do we do? We're in this little bitty town. We are surrounded by the enemy. Yeah, I know I've got Elisha on my team, but look at this army. And he says, oh, my Lord, what shall we do? Elisha's answer, do not be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, what do you think this guy did just then? He's looking around this town and going, what are you talking about? There's about 100,000 of them out there. I see this little dinky town filled with non-soldiers, and women and children. What do you mean those who are with us are more than those who are with them? He tells him, verse 17, Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What did this guy have the benefit of having a snapshot of. He got to see the unseen world. Isn't that good? He got a snapshot of the unseen world. Before that, all he could see was what? What was seen? These awful soldiers and chariots surrounding us. And he cries out, Oh my Lord, what are we going to do? And suddenly God gives him for just a brief snapshot a picture of the unseen world, and he sees chariots of fire. And he sees the angelic host surrounded Elisha and these guys. And all of a sudden he looks at that, and he says, as the enemy came down, 
toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. And they get, they get well, they didn't kill this army. They let them go. But they were preserved. They weren't crushed. He was perplexed, but he didn't despair. See? He felt closed in on, but he wasn't crushed. That's a beautiful picture. Remember Peter in the garden whenever the soldiers come to take Jesus? What does wonderful Peter do as a fisherman? He decides to be a centurion. Remember when he draws his sword and he tries to kill one of the servants? And he, what's he do? He chops the guy's ear off. And you've got to love what Jesus says. He says, Peter, seriously, put that sword away. I really don't need your help. For if I needed to, I could call forth 12 legions of angels. That's 144,000 angels. One angel in the book of Isaiah wiped out overnight 186,000 Assyrians. One angel did that. Jesus says, Peter, listen. If I want to call forth the unseen world, I could call forth 144,000 angels at my side. Really, put your little dagger away. I don't need your help. I've got hidden resources that you can't see, but trust me. Guys, we have hidden resources that we cannot see. So do not lose heart, no matter where you are. I don't walk in your shoes. Ron doesn't walk in your shoes. We, we don't walk in your shoes. But... You've got hidden resources. If you just continue to press forward, don't lose heart. God will take you through those things. And though you may, you may remain perplexed for quite some time, He will preserve you. You will not despair. And someday, the beauty of Jesus will, will be revealed in all of the things that we endure. Amen? It's a beautiful message for all of us who are or who will be going through times when we feel that our heart grows faint.